You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Fathers, mothers, parents, listen to me. This is what we need to take home from this lesson more than anything else, although we're going to be talking about some other things, some other issues, some other lessons for us to learn. But what you do in your home inevitably affects your children for good or for evil. Make that investment. Do whatever you can possibly do to instill within them a godly heritage. Whether we realize it or not, our own offspring are extremely susceptible to our own actions as parents, whether good or bad. In fact, most children spend the first few years of their lives in a subconscious state that absorbs just about everything in their environment. In today's message, Pastor Mike will encourage you to take extra care when it comes to raising children of your own. In his study, you'll learn how your actions as a parent make all the difference in the world when it comes to the outcome of your children. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 26 as he begins his message, The Sins of the Fathers. Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 11. The title is The Sins of the Father. So let's go ahead and read that text of Scripture, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. So Genesis chapter 26, beginning in verse 1. And this is where we left off last time. Now there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And I'll explain all of this if you're Uh, here for the first time, or if you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. And this, of course, is a reference to the land of, of Canaan. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all of these lands. And in your seed all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And so Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife. And he said, she is my sister, for he was afraid to say, she is my wife. Does this sound familiar to any of you guys? All right, 
We'll get back to it in just a moment. Because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, his wife, because she is beautiful to behold. She must have been a real looker, guys. Now it came to pass, verse 8, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. And so Abimelech charged all of his people, saying, he who touches this man or his wife, they shall surely be put to death. Father, we pray now that you bless our time together as we treat this text of Scripture. Lord, minister to each one in a very relevant and personal kind of a way. Lord, I pray that it would uh, also serve to help and protect us against reoccurring sin, the sin of our, our youth. Lord, that we wouldn't go back, but Lord, we would only go forward, going on to maturity. Lord, use this time together to help us to become the kinds of men and women that you want us to become. But Lord, instruct us. And Lord, touch those areas in our lives that need to be addressed. God, we thank you. Father, we pray that our testimony before our leaving here uh, today would have been, it was good to be in the house of the Lord. Now, Lord, settle our hearts. I, feel that everyone, I, I pray that everyone would feel very comfortable being here and at home and at ease. And uh, Lord, uh, I just want to thank you for bringing our sister Emily uh, back to us safely and protecting her while uh, she was away. And uh, we thank you for her and her commitment to you and missions, her ministry. Lord, bless her for that. God, do all of these things now, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, you've heard the expression, right? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, that would certainly apply here according to our main character, Isaac, right? You know, as a cross-reference for this, before we even go on, if you quickly would, turn with me to the book of Exodus in chapter 20, in verse 5, and right there in the middle of God giving to Moses the Ten Commandments, notice in verse 5, so just go ahead, jump ahead real quickly to one book of the Bible, and uh, let's begin, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, what's that all about, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, here in Exodus chapter 20, in verse 5, we have a recorded, curious passage of Scripture, which is often mishandled by preachers and teachers of God's Word. I want to focus in on that phrase, the iniquity or the sins of the father. What does that mean? What does that refer to? Well, some translate this to mean that the children will have to pay the consequences for their parents' sin. So what's involved with that? The innocent suffering for the guilty. But that can't be right because that seems to be absolutely out of character for God, right? 
I mean, think about it. The innocent suffering for the guilty, although the choices that we make as parents do affect our children. So, okay, what is the correct understanding of that text of Scripture? Well, I believe that this declaration is rather suggesting that it is most probable that a child will participate in those things that they've been taught by their parents. It's amazing how we kind of develop the same character as our moms and dads, our close relatives and friends. Good and bad, by the way. Okay, so there's the setup for this message. Now let's focus in on our main character, who is Isaac. Okay, we want to focus in on Isaac now. And let me tell you, Isaac is not some illustrious personality. In fact, Isaac has been described for us as the ordinary son of a great father. Who would that great father be? Abraham, right? The ordinary father of a great son. Who would the son be? Jacob, right? So his life then was really an undistinguished one. And for the most part, Isaac, think about it, is just a necessary backdrop for someone else's life. I mean, almost everything he did is recorded for us here in chapter 26 of the book of Genesis. And it's not so much what he did, but rather how similar his actions were to the way Abraham lived his early life. And I want to underscore that word early, early life. Remember, we've been tracing the progression of God working in and through Abraham since he was first called back in his homeland of Ur of the Chaldeans and uh, shaping him and molding him into the man that he had finally become. Whereas the Bible recommends him to us as the father of the faith. And so God did a profound work in this man's life. But early on, right? Even, I mean, it's the same way with us as well. You know, God gets a hold of us and he begins these processes. It's called regeneration, sanctification. Those are the words that are used to describe that process in a Christian's life. He's molding us, he's shaping us. He's changing us from the inside out. Uh, The ultimate goal is to conform us into the image of his own son, Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate goal that God has for each and every one of us. But early on in Abraham's life, he had failed to be the kind of a man that God wanted him to become. And it seems like Isaac just sort of picks up where Father Abraham uh, left off early in his uh, experience in his walk with God. You see, Isaac repeated his father's sins. Now, fathers, mothers, parents, listen to me. This is what we need to take home from this lesson more than anything else, although we're going to be talking about some other things, some other issues, some other lessons for us to learn. But what you do in your home inevitably affects your children for good or for evil. Make that investment. 
do whatever you can possibly do to instill within them a godly heritage. So please follow closely to the Lord. And then let me address the children for a moment. There's a few children, youngsters, teenagers that are still here that haven't been dismissed and gone with the rest of the kids' ministry. Children, don't follow in the footsteps of your parents if they are wrong, but only as they follow and obey Jesus Christ. Yes, be helped by a good example, but the truth of the matter is, ultimately, right, you're responsible to God for what you do. And so remember that. It's so very, very important. But it's, a, it's just a huge responsibility that's laid upon us as parents. Now, let's take a closer look at Isaac's failure here. Let's go back to our text in verse 1. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 26 and verse 1. We are told that there is a famine in the land, and Isaac went to Abimelech in Gerar. Now notice also the writer is careful to mention the first famine that occurred in the days of Abraham, referring to what is recorded for us in the book of Genesis here in chapter 12 in verse 10. Let's quickly go back to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 10, just to make the point. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, let me ask you, the, let me ask you this question. And, and this is, by the way, the way that we should read the Bible. When something like this appears in a text, we ought to ask ourselves the question, why has the writer included this particular fact? Why did he mention twice, it was a famine, but then he refers to the famine that had taken place during the days of Abraham? What's the point? Why did he do that? And, by, and again, that's when you read the Bible, when something like that appears in the text, you ought to ask yourself the question, why is it there? So why did he do that? I think personally... To make us think, oh yeah, I kind of remember. Abraham failed to trust God, and instead, in his own experience, during the time when he had to face the famine, rather than trusting in the Lord and continuing in the land of Canaan, Abraham failed to trust God and instead went down to Egypt. And when he went down to Egypt, he pretended that his wife Sarah was his sister and got in trouble with Pharaoh, even as Isaac misrepresented his wife Rebekah as his sister to the people when he went down as well. And then, you know, and hmm, I wonder now what Isaac will do in a similar situation. So I think the writer, his intention was for us to just pause for a second and think, wait a second, you know, this is sort of, I've heard this before. This is sort of reminiscent of something that's already taken place, you know, only a few chapters before. And I wonder now what Isaac will do in the same similar situation as his father, Abraham. Well, sadly, as we've already discovered here, as we've read our text, he exhibited, that is, Isaac exhibited the same lack of faith and sin. He just couldn't trust God that God would provide for him during that time of famine, no matter where he was. 
whether he was in the land of Canaan or in the land, whatever. God was going to provide. God had promised that he would provide for him. Well, sadly, he exhibited the same lack of faith and sin. And throw this into the mix, which is just kind of really blows your mind. Notice in verse 2, I don't know if you caught this or not, he said, then the Lord appeared to him. Okay, so this is the first time that God had audibly spoken to Isaac. Could you imagine? You're going through some difficulty, and you fill in the blank. Probably all of you, if given an opportunity, could share something that you're going through right now that troubles you, that's causing you to be anxious, maybe a little fearful, right? And you're thinking, uh, you know, I'm going to go down to Egypt. You get some relief. You're going to do something that God doesn't want you to do so that you can get the relief. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of that whole process, God audibly speaks to you. Don't you think that that would get your attention? Right? Wow, God has spoken to me. This wasn't some impression upon his mind or some, or some you know, brother or sister coming to us or, you know, and saying, you know, I think I have a word of the Lord for you which is cool, and God does speak to us in that way sometimes. Or it it wasn't in the form of his attending a Sunday morning service and uh, across the pulpit as the message is being delivered, you know, God speaks directly to you. You, You've had those kinds of experiences before, right? It's like the world stands still for a moment, and it's as if, you know, as as I'm preaching and I'm, I'm using my hands to gesture, to make a point, it seems like my finger is pointing directly to you, right? It's like God's got your number. But that's not it. God audibly spoke to Isaac. How crazy is that, right? And so God appears to him in verse 2, and we read, the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. And of course, he's referring to the land of Canaan. Well, first of all, so even after God appears to him, he still goes down to Gerar and stands before King Abimelech of the Philistines. And Gerar, by the way, is the border country on the way to Egypt. He's not actually in Egypt yet. This is on the border country on the way to Egypt. Now, we should, I guess we should probably address the question, try to answer the question for you. Why is Egypt so bad? And why did God prohibit both Abraham as well as his son Isaac from going down to Egypt? Well, remember, in the introduction of our series several months ago now, we've been in this book of the Bible, I had suggested to you that the book of Genesis is full of all of these types and analogies and metaphors and symbols. We've already gone through some of them. And uh, uh, as it relates to one of those types, Egypt becomes a type of the world. It represents the world, all of what the world has to offer. Egypt and all of its glory and all of its worship of their false gods and such. So because of that fact that Egypt represents the world, therefore, it cannot be the place of God's blessing. Duh. I mean, you don't have to be a genius to figure that out. So if Isaac is to be blessed, he must stay in the land of promise. 
Now, I, I think that this is so cool. I mean, think about this, right? God is concerned about Isaac, even as God is concerned about you and to me. And God would say to you, just in case you're thinking about bailing out on God, turning your back upon God, and going down to Egypt or going back into the world from whence we've all come since our conversion experience, God would speak to you. He's using me. He uses donkeys, according to the scriptures, so why not use me, right? I don't know if I'm any better. You know, to warn you, to encourage you not to do that, right? He's in the business of protecting his people, warning his people, counseling his people. That's what this message is all about. Now, notice in God's appearing to Isaac, and, and this is God demonstrating to us and to Isaac his marvelous grace. Notice he didn't say, hey, Isaac, haven't you learned anything from your father's experience? You know, I'm tired of you Jewish patriarchs running off to Egypt at the first sign of trouble. That's not the God I know. And certainly that's not the way that God treats any of us. He's so patient with us and so gentle with us and long-suffering with us. Isn't that true? He doesn't beat us over the head. You know, some people have the impression that God's just waiting for us, you know, to get off of the straight and an arrow and head towards Egypt, and he's going to take that big club that he has in our hand, that he has in his hand, and just beat us over the head with it. But that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God that we know. It's not the God that we serve. God showed no sign of impatience with Isaac. He's just simply instructing him, stay in the land and receive my blessing. Even as God would say to you, stay in fellowship with me through my son, Jesus Christ. That's the place of blessing. And I love that about God. He just puts it out there. Even as God is putting it out there for you, you know, throughout the scriptures, there's always the, the, the exhortation. Listen, this is what, this is the occupation that every one of us faces as Christian. You have to choose. God is not going to violate your capacity of choice. God has created us as free moral agents. So what are we going to do with that choice? We are either to choose blessings or cursings. And how many times did God, uh, through his ambassador, like for example Moses, and the people were exhorted, this day, choose you either blessings or cursings. God just puts it out there. And man, does he put it out there through the study and the teaching of the word of God. But then notice, God not only warns him and instructs him, but then he reiterates the covenant in verse 4. Let's go back to our text. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all of these lands. And in your seed, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, 
We see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.